The Southern Middle Tennessee Sports Today podcast is brought to you in part by Columbia Academy, Jones & Lang Sporting Goods, Andy Wilhoyt with United Country Realty, the law office of David A. Bates, Custom Stone Handlers, Covenant Technology, Patio West Coastal and Comfort Eats, and Mid-Tennessee Bone & Joint. Mid-Tennessee Bone & Joint treats your orthopedic injuries and existing conditions. Their trained physicians will get you back in the game faster. Contact them today at 931-381-2663 or visit mtbj.net. Today with TSWA Hall of Famer Maurice Patton. Here's Chris Yao. Hey, welcome back to Southern Middle Tennessee Sports Today, presented by Mid Tennessee Bone and Joint. I'm Maurice Patton. Chris Yao finishing up a little time off. Expect him back in here on Monday. Um, in the meantime, Dave Foster has chosen to stick around for a second hour. Really appreciate that. Thanks for having me. Um, Coach Mike over here running things. He, he's the he's the real star of this thing. <laughs> yeah. Hope I'm just not a flame out. <laughs> just just making sure that we're on the air yeah, and, we're, and getting out there. We're getting and, there. Yeah, all that we're stuff. We're getting there. So, um, as we always do in the second hour, we're going to talk a little Braves. And I had – Expected this to be a a fun, positive conversation after yesterday's seven to six win, as um, Dansby Swanson walked it off with a bases loaded single there in the bottom of the ninth to make a air quote winner of AJ Mentor after he blew the save for Jacob Webb, and uh, I tweeted something yesterday. You you shouldn't you shouldn't be able to blow the save and get the win. Who would you give it to? I would give it to whoever would have gotten the win had the save not been blown. That would be interesting. I, I, you, it's, I mean, I get the picture of record and that kind of thing, but just like you can't create your own save opportunity, you shouldn't be able to create your own win either. I mean, so... There's what, that. Let me ask you this. What inning would, would this proposed rule begin in? Because let's say it's the fifth inning and somebody comes in and they blow what it's not a save opportunity, but they blow, you mm-hmm. know, five two lead, it's five five. Now they're the pitcher of record. So are you saying this would really only apply to the guys in the late innings, the eighth, ninth innings? You're assuming that I've thought this that far <laughs> through. <laughs> Yeah, right. Yeah. But right. But I, but I'm saying that could happen in the fifth inning too. A guy could come in for somebody. It's five two. You yeah. know, I don't know why they'd be out of the game in the fifth. But let's say it happens. They get injured or yeah. anything. They're out of the game. They blow a lead at that point, and they're the, the. So at some point, 
I have to think this would apply to the relievers. Probably. You're you're getting into details. Don't don't <laughs> don't spoil my rant over there. I there we go. T- I should take this to Twitter uh, and uh, you should. I just, we should talk about it more there. Absolutely. Anyway, as I said, I was I was expecting this to be a fun conversation as the Braves hit the road for a three-game series in Chicago. Um 120 start today, 120 tomorrow and a 608 first pitch on Sunday. All three of those games, by the way, are available on our sister station at WKRM 103.7 FM. Um, pre-game for all three of those? Uh, no, today first, we'll go. We'll start uh, close to first pitch at 120. Okay. All right. So you we can, have some other programs that we have to uh, maintain. Understandably. That's that's why I asked. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> because I'm not privy to all that information. But you can pick up the – Actual game starting around one fifteen, uh, one twenty again yeah, on them, um, and we will be in time for the first pitch. So, one hundred three point seven, you can hear that right here. Well, not right here on one hundred three point seven. Yeah. Anyway, Drew Smiley, who was expected to start that game in three hours and some change for the Braves, has gone on the injured list with left forearm inflammation. Making the start in his place will be former Vandy boy, Kyle Wright. Oh, okay. Yeah, who had been at the alternate training site getting ready for the AAA season with Gwinnett. So, did not break camp with the Braves. And all of a sudden, the Braves' pitching rotation is falling apart because Max Freed went on the IL earlier this week with some shoulder inflammation. No, no, no. With a hamstring, that's what he yeah. had. Who had the shoulder inflammation? Somebody had shoulder. Uh, oh, Soroka had shoulder Soroka, inflammation yeah. and had to be shut down as he tries to come back from that Achilles. So, going to be interesting. Um, Kyle Wright will make his first start of the season here, and we'll see if the Braves can score enough runs with somebody other than Ronald Acuna Jr., I was going to say, if you want to make these Brave segments more fun, the Braves bats have got to get going because other than one guy, <laughs> there's pretty much everybody's hovering around the 200 mark. Well, it's not pretty. It's not pretty at all. It, with the one exception to that is their pinch hitters. Their pinch hitters have set the world on fire. They Pablo Sandoval, ladies and yes. gentlemen, has been a godsend. And he's probably been some kind of way involved in each of these five victories to this point. Oh, yeah. If they, you go back and look. Uh, they've got more uh, pinch hit home runs and pinch hit extra base hits than the rest of the entire league combined at this point of the season, which is just unbelievable. And that's a positive. That yes. is a positive. The problem is you only get to use them one time a game. Right. That's the, <laughs> the problem is the starters are batting three or four or five times right. a game. <laughs> yeah. And uh, they're not hitting very I, well. I'll tell you what, though. It, it's, you know – it's fun to watch Brian Snitker push those buttons. Uh, and every, every time he's reached onto the bench, pretty much he's gotten some good stuff out of there. So that's, that's a good thing. Course, and it's good to have those guys. Sometimes you wonder, you know, okay, if they're doing this well at the bat, are they really that much of a liability in the field? It may be time to rethink some things. Some if they can't. I, I, think, I think one situation in particular is starting to reach critical mass, and that is – Austin Riley at third base. Uh, I I think that you may see 
Adrianza getting a little more time over there um, because he's been not very good here in the early going, and that's something that you could address. I think most of the rest of these guys, it's just a matter of getting it together. Well, like, from, well I was going to say, like a Freddie Freeman, he's going to be fine. You just give him some time. He'll he'll get into his groove. Right. And, you, you feel like Darno, and you feel like Ozzy and, and Ozuna, those guys have got enough of a track record, I think, that you just kind of ride them out a little bit. It's just a bad bit. start. Yeah. Yeah. In, in doing the broadcast yesterday, one of their – Commentators mentioned that the they've got these new analytics that they come off, and they're talking about the ball coming off the bat. The velo, yeah, the velo, and they said that the velocity of the ball coming off the bat for the Braves has been the highest in the league. They're hitting balls but hard, hitting we, right at people. We, we and, talked, uh, Joe and I talked about this yesterday. They're hitting balls hard, and when you're hitting balls hard, you have to feel like if you, if you continue to do that, eventually they're going to find spaces. Yeah. You know, right yeah, now so. they're hitting into double. You know, you hit a hard, you hit a, a hard ball with people on base, and you hit it right at somebody. You're probably setting up a double play in the, in the pro level. That moves over six feet. You got a now, single, yeah, yeah. It's a single, or, or a double, or, or, yeah. a double. Or, or, or more, yeah, yeah. And so it's you know, and in listening to the manager in the pros game, that he was he was just saying, we've got to stay the we're hitting the ball. He said we're not playing badly. He said, "That's." He says, "Yes, we're losing games. I understand that." <laughs> he goes, "But he goes, we're hitting the ball." He said, "We're just we're we're not playing badly. We're just not getting it done yet." And really, and, if you think about it, uh, having said all that, they're still what five and eight. They're still mm-hmm. three games under. It's it's yeah. it's you know one thirteen series, games into the season. One, yeah, one series you turn this around. You you've got you're yeah. looking at nine and eight. You sweep yeah. a four game series. Up to or yesterday, something. they were the definition of streaky. Uh, they were yeah. zero and four, and then four, four and four, four, and then four and eight. Right. I mean, it was just so maybe this is the start of a four game yeah. win streak. There we <laughs> go. The, the hope springs eternal. <laughs> but um, you know, at the risk of throwing cliches out they say baseball is a game of inches and that goes back to your hard hit balls right at people you hit something to the right or left of somebody and it gets through and it's a different situation and a different record but in the meantime thank goodness for ronald acuna jr he's on fire what a start he um i think he got everybody's attention when he beat out that routine grounder to short on um sunday night Anybody that wasn't paying attention to him before is now. And that's an interesting combination with power. You know, he's got home runs, you know, and the five, speed. six home runs already. And then seven, seven home runs. Okay, I'm behind. <laughs> uh, but he has the speed also mm-hmm. to, to beat out the infield hit. That, that's that's not, that's an unusual combination. It's uh, It's rarely seen in today's game. I mean, there's, I think... Ricky Henderson is probably the most apt comparison in terms of the power and the speed, especially at the top of the order. And, you know, the way they've struggled, of course it comes up. Do you want to move him down in the order to get him up more with opportunities to drive runs in? And Snitker addressed that. It's like, no, we – He's he's at number one. We'll figure everything it ain't out. Broke. Behind Don't him. fix it. That's it. That's I, it. You, so you talk about today's game, and this brings up something. And I know last week you kind of made fun of me on Twitter for being the old man who who is you know yelling at the cloud thing. But I was thinking about this the other day. They had the second no hitter just the other night of the season. Right, we're mm-hmm. only a few games in, and I went to look because I got curious about how batting averages have gone down, and we're at the point now 
where it's been about 50 years since batting averages are as low across the board in the major leagues. And I thought, we're going to have a lot more of these no-hitters as the style of the of hitting has changed mm-hmm. over the years. And at the risk of being the old man, I don't like it as much. No. I liked it back when, when it wasn't just strikeout or homer. As a lot of guys, not everybody, but a lot of guys across the uh, league have. I like that game a lot. I agree with you wholeheartedly. I mean, I am a huge small ball fan. I mean, yeah. I'm not a Cardinals fan, but, you know, that get them on, get them over, get them in mm-hmm. style of play. The style of play that puts pressure on defenses, make them make plays. That was the phrase that we used when I was coaching mm-hmm. my summer league team. Make them make plays. Exactly take the, the take school. the extra base. Steal a base. You Absolutely. know, go from first to third on a hit to the outfield. That kind of thing. Because the things that they have to do to get you out in those situations, they got to make a throw. They got to make a catch. They got to make a tag. You know. Now, that's not necessarily as hard at the major league level as it was with my 16-year-olds. But still, you know, aggressiveness. I think there's something to be said for it rather than just waiting on the three-run home run. I heard something the other day that's, to me, is kind of scary because they're messing with the game. But there's a move right now. There's at least some research being done on moving the pitcher's mound back. Back a foot. I saw that. They're going to try it in a a minor league. Yeah, it's going to be tried in the minor leagues or something like that. To to 61 feet. Yeah, 61 feet instead of 66. Or 60 feet, 6 inches. And I – I'm an old pitcher from high school and and one year in college, and you change that foot, you're you're changing my whole pitching strategy. Well, I mentioned that 50 years, and it's interesting. What was the difference when the the averages started going up? They changed the pitching mound, the height of the pitching mound, right about late 60s. -hmm. And then from the 70s on, you saw the batting averages rise, and now we've gone back down again. Uh, So I I started thinking about that as – is that a good idea to bring batting averages back up? You obviously don't think so. Um, well, there's other ways to do it besides messing with the dimensions of the field. Yeah. Uh, you're changing. I mean, that, it's amazing how much that one foot is going to make. It will. It will uh, make a it, huge It changes difference. all your angles as, as a pitcher, as a former pitcher. When I'm, you know, I could, sometimes I can barely see first base, checking first base. You move me back another foot, yeah, you know, seeing that, changing my angles for my step. The, the curveball, where it's supposed to break, changes dramatically. I mean, you break it now a foot early, it's going to be in the dirt instead of right at the knees and and stuff. So that's, uh, you know, if the change comes, yes, pitchers are going to adapt and, and, and stuff like that. But I, I just, I guess I'm an old traditionalist as far as the field dimensions and, and stuff. Yeah, they've changed the ball several times. They've made it harder. They've made it softer. Uh Laces bigger, laces flatter. They've done all kinds of things to it. They, you know, they, they, they've even you know regulated the bats and, and, sure. and stuff. Uh, just again, I don't know if I'm a, can be called a purist, a traditionalist, or whatever. Just don't mess with the dimensions of the field. It's, Back to something Mo was saying though, and that is this this style difference. I'm and not just in baseball, but I would say in any sport really, if everybody's doing one thing. Do, do, something, do, something, do different. something different. Go back to that small ball. Yeah. Somebody should do it because I bet it would be successful now because you'd be the only oh, one yeah, really we trying did it. it. We yeah. did it quite a bit with high school and middle school where I where I came from. Uh, you know, We made a six-run comeback on six bunts. 
Making, can, making can, teams throw the ball. It can happen. And, you know, and, make and, and yes, mistakes. it was younger kids. And, and sure. Like, but the whole philosophy, make them make plays. Put pressure on them. Put that's the pressure it. on that's them. That's it. Um, coming to the end of this segment, we'll be joined in the next one by Teresa Walker of the Associated Press. But before we do, got to give you this day in Atlanta Braves history. On April 16, 1988, the Braves established a National League record for losses at the start of a season <laughs> by losing their 10th consecutive game with a 7-4 defeat to the Dodgers. Atlanta surpasses the mark previously owned by four teams, including the infamous 1919 Braves and the 1962 Mets. That was the Mets' first year, by the way. <laughs> so, um, the core of that 1988 team was also the core of the Worst to first yes. three years yeah. later when the Braves won the um, National League. I guess it would have been the West at that point because they had not realigned in 1999, uh, 1991, I'm sorry, and went on to the World Series Played where the they lost to the Twins. Yeah. yeah. So this day in Atlanta Braves history brought to you by, well, nobody at this point, but if you would be interested <laughs> in sponsoring this day in Braves history, Get at us, um, sports at sm-tnsports.com, or find me or Chris Yao on Twitter, at MoPattonSports, at ChrisYao14. We'd love to talk to you. Um, that's going to do it for this segment of Southern Middle Tennessee Sports today. When we come back, again, we'll have Teresa Walker with the Associated Press. So, um, Southern Middle Tennessee Sports, presented by Mid-Tennessee Bone & Joint. Come back with us. If you've listened to this show, you know Chris and I are always down for a good meal. Recently, we learned about Patio West in Spring Hill and what a pleasure it has been. Their menu is full of seafood, burgers, and more, giving every member of your family something to enjoy. Be sure to go by Patio West Coastal and Comfort Eats located at 3011 Longford Drive in Spring Hill or visit patiowest.com and tell them the guys at Southern Middle Tennessee Sports sent you. When we're out covering sports in and around Murray County, communication between Maurice and I is absolutely vital to our success. When your business needs top-notch communication and local service, Covenant Technology is there, and they are dedicated to helping your business succeed by ensuring open lines of communication to your clients and customers. Contact them today at 615-846-9898 or visit covenanttechnology.net. It's Southern Middle Tennessee Sports Today. Once again, with Mo, here's Chris. Here's Mo, no Chris. I'm Maurice Patton. Thanks for joining us here on Southern Middle Tennessee Sports Today, presented by Mid-Tennessee Bone & Joint. Coach Mike over here on the controls. Dave Foster sitting in for Chris Yao. And on the Parks Motor Sales Hotline, we have TSWA Hall of Famer Teresa Walker. Good morning. Good morning, Mo. Good morning, Dave. How are you guys doing on this fine Friday? We're do- we're doing pretty well, I think, Dave. I've, we, we well, doing well, I'm in good company here. A couple of Hall of Famers that I'm with. 
That is true. That is true. What, and wait a minute. Why, why do we let Dave in here again, Mo? <laughs> <laughs> just I'll just leave now. <laughs> no, you won't. We still got two segments, big Um Teresa, uh, it's been pretty quiet on the Titans front, has it not? You know, here over the last little bit, anyway, a week before the draft. Well, yeah, but th- that's the thing. Th- this, this is the pattern under John Robinson. You know, he he gets his free agents. You know, he signs the guys that he's going to keep from his own thing, and uh, then it kind of tails off. And now, uh, you know, last year, I'm thinking, I don't think Jonathan Joseph was signed until like right around the draft, or you know, maybe the week before the draft and, you know, to a one-year deal that ended up not being a deal they probably should have made. But, uh, you know, he's at a point, especially with the calorie, uh, excuse me, salary cap space. I got my second vaccination an hour ago, so maybe it's already affecting my speech. Uh, I'm kidding. Um, but <laughs> Don't uh, say you know, that. <laughs> I know, I know. Too many people will believe it. Uh, instead of me just being stumbling with my tongue, there's a reason I'm a writer. Right. Um, but they don't have a ton of cap space and there's not anybody out there. I mean, you know, shoot, they weren't going to sign Xavier Clowney again. That's for sure. So, you know, they're at a point where it's, you know, it's, it's focused on the draft, get that draft board set and, and, you know, finalize who you have as your top players going into this draft so that they're ready because guys, uh, two weeks from the day, we're, they're, they're going to be resetting that board for, for night two and rounds two through three of the draft. So, you know, there's not a whole lot to be done right now. You know, maybe you go sign another guy or two, but I, it's kind of at a point where see what you get in the draft, then see if there's any other holes that you need to fi- uh, fill on this roster. Um, where do you think they go in round one? I'm torn. I, I can make a case for cornerback. Uh, and I can also make a need, uh, a need for, for wide receiver. And I kind of lean toward wide receiver. It's all going to come down to, you know, what's, you know, what's best available on their board. You know, if a, if a JC Horn falls to them at 22, you, you go get him. You know, if you really have Greg Newsom of Northwestern, you know, a kid who had a very fast 40 time at his pro day at Northwestern, then you, you, you go get him or, you know, let's face it. I, I, Count me among the people that would love to see Elijah Moore and, uh, you know, reunited, an Ole Miss guy reunited with uh, another Ole Miss guy, A.J. Brown, on this offense. Yes, they signed Josh Reynolds, uh, but I, I still think they need more help at wide receiver, and that's why I wouldn't mind seeing them take that in the first round. But then you look at the, the defensive side, and, you know, Jackrabbit Jenkins, you know, that's kind of a, a stopgap measure. You know, you got Christian Fulton, who you took in the draft last year. You know, they signed these pieces, but, you know, getting another cornerback is an absolute must in this draft. So, uh, and there's more wide receivers uh, in this draft than there seem to be cornerbacks. So I think it's just going to be how does it come through, uh, you know, who's there available when they get to 22. And I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, maybe he trades. You know, this is John Robinson. We've seen him trade up a couple spots to get somebody he likes. We've seen, you know, I won't be surprised, though, if he drops back a couple spots, if he can add another draft pick. Why? Because of the salary cap situation. They need some cheaper talent. <laughs> um, I like Elijah Moore. I'm not sure I like him in the first round. I agree with that. Well, but I've seen some people see, that's the thing. It's, you know, it's all how you, you know, you gauge somebody if you love them or not, you know? Uh, and, and, you know, that's why if you could, if you could get him in the second round, get a cornerback in the first, Elijah Moore in the second, I think that would be a great draft. 
Um, but you know, that's the thing there. And, and there's so many good receivers out there. I mean, shoot, Tennessee's Josh Palmer when, you know, when, you know, people were like, Oh, he, you know, initial gauges were like, Oh, he might be a, a fifth round guy. And now he seems to have through the pro day and everything. He seems to have worked his way up that ladder and, you know, he might even get picked in the third or second round. So it's going to be fun to watch. This is the time of year where all these experts talk for months and months and then the draft happens and you're going to get the immediate draft grades. And it's like, well, you know, and they're graded on how people had these players pick themselves, not so much whether it's the right fit and situation for a team. So, and remember, uh, uh, football players, just like beauty is in the eye of the beholder. <laughs> and, and I'll say this, Teresa, and, and past performance is not, a prediction of, of the future here, but I've seen the Titans, not all this front office, but I've seen the Titans take a lot of receivers in the first round and not end up with first round production out of those picks. That scares me about that, that pick going receiver. Well, Dave, that's the thing. You're rolling the dice on these guys anyway. I mean, let's not forget a year ago, people thought Isaiah Wilson was going to be starting at right tackle midway through the season last year. And now he's out of the NFL. So, uh, you know, it's all about how they come in and produce. And, you know, Corey Davis, you know, there were a lot of people wondering. He was the first pick in 2017. And right now, you know, he got a really nice check with the Jets. You know, off of that one seat, he had one really great season this last year, and that's what he got. It's it's a roll of the dice, guys. As much as as much as all these draft experts and and Mel Kiper and you know Todd McShay and all these guys want to make help try to convince people that everybody knows exactly what's going to happen and who's going to matter. No, it, it's it's a, it's like you know it's a crapshoot. So have we decided that we're okay? at edge rusher that we don't need to go that way in the first round? I think so, because you got Harold Landry. Now that, that said, it is still a need, you know? So if they, if they took a guy in the first round would not be surprised at all, but then, then you've got to figure out how are you getting that person some playing time? Their first rounder needs to be able to come in and contribute immediately. And with Bud Dupree, Harold Landry, it's just not the primary need, at least not in my thoughts process because they do have you know they upgraded this year they hope uh with bud dupree and then you got Danico autry inside so you know they do they need depth absolutely you know could that be their third round pick second round pick sure um because they do need absolutely depth there because you know it's you've got you can't do to harold landry what he did last year which was play oh you know the amount of snaps that Landry played last year, they didn't want him. They were wanting, they went into the season wanting to limit, you know, and, and help keep him fresher. Well, you've got to have depth to do that. And they did not have that last year. And, you know, the young man played a ton, a ton of snaps. Speaking on the Parks Motor Sales Hotline with Teresa Walker of the Associated Press, you know, you mentioned corner as probably the primary need along with receiver. And you mentioned, um, a kid from Northwestern who is getting a lot of attention, and I cannot remember his name, but it. Greg Newsom. Yes, it it really stood out to me. I guess I've just watched too much Southeastern Conference football. I don't know. I I feel a little bit allergic to Big Ten cornerbacks. Big Ten bias that you've got there. It 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 is it is. Um, I'll own it, but I'm I'm just not sure what other cornerbacks are in that mix along with Mr. Newsom. Well, there's Asante Samuel Jr. Uh, and, and, and um, yeah, I'm starting to feel old when I see guys <laughs> who are coming into the draft who I, you know, 
I was, you know, I've been covering the NFL. This will be my 25th season. So, you know, some of these kids coming in, they're, you know, covered their daddies back in the day. So, yeah, that doesn't help me feel. I need some Jericho right now. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, so Asante Samuel Jr., J.C. Horn, yes, the son of another former NFL player. Uh, I'm trying to think of a couple others. But there, there are some out there that are definite. Hey, options. Um, what about um, the Sartan kid? Yes, uh, another son of right. somebody else. Uh, Tennessee fans remember his dad very, very well. Uh, a two-point conversion once upon a time against Tennessee. So, uh, you know, that's th- th- there are several uh, cornerbacks. And I kind of lean towards what you're thinking there, Mo. The idea that uh, I'm probably, maybe it's SEC bias, you know, uh, location bias. We've seen these guys and we've seen, you know, the, you know, the SEC is not that, uh, you know, three- three downs in a cloud of dust anymore kind of thing. It's, uh, you know, this is, these, these are some offenses that can put up some points. And, you know, Josh Heupel's bringing that to Tennessee, we hope, this year. But uh, so, you know, it, it, and here's the thing, though. It comes down to the physical ability. And that's a lot of what NFL teams are looking at. You know, yes, the, the, the tape in this year, particularly with no NFL combine and just a pro day to go off of, you know, yes, you're trying to, to look at how they, you know, Newsom's got speed, absolutely speed. Now he's done some, he's had some good productions, yes, against Big Ten quarterbacks and offenses, and easy to, you know, to second guess that. You know, we've seen how well they tend to show out in, in bowl games, so we're a little prejudiced there. But, you know, uh, there are options, and uh, you know, he he had some good stats. Uh, you know, uh, I'm trying to think. In fact, I just read about him a couple hours ago. But you know, he was really good on not allowing completions and and, and things like that. So you know, that's going to be up for the coaches to decide. You know, they look at these guys and you know, can I make them do what I need to do in my system? Mm-hmm. And and that's the thing. That's what makes this draft such a such a you know crapshoot is because you know a player can look good here and then you bring him in and, and it's maybe trying to put a square peg into a round hole. Sometimes you know what you thought will fit. Just doesn't work, and kind of like five and four star guys going from high school to college, some guys just some don't develop and continue growing the way you hope they would. You know, to be fair, I was saying a Big Ten bias, and I was joking about it. But as you think about the Titans' offense right now, if you look at the quarterback, the running back, the best receiver, what conference were they all from? <laughs> SEC. It just means more. It, it just means more. Yeah, I would tend to go that way. Well, and, and that's the interesting thing. It feels like the Titans have been going that way. I mean, shoot, the whole NFL. I mean, there's a reason why. I mean, you know, the, the, the big question in two weeks is how many Alabama guys will go in the first 10? You know, Matt Jones, Devontae Smith, uh, Najee Harris, uh, and I'm forgetting the guy who got hurt in the Tennessee game, uh, Jalen Waddell. So it's like, you know, they could have a handful in just that first round. Uh, NFL teams are, are, you know, the SEC has been leading the, you know, college, uh, the leagues in the number of draft picks over the last few years for a reason. Yeah, NFL wants into that SEC mix as well. And as you were mentioning, the top three guys on the offensive side of the ball, you neglected to mention Jeffrey Simmons from Mississippi State on defense. I did, and I also neglected to mention Isaiah Wilson, who also came from the SEC. Oh, well, so, so maybe it's not 100%. You know, everybody has a clunker. Every once in a while. So, yeah. Um, we're on the park. And by the way, guys, real quick, mm-hmm. uh, apparently John Fulkerson has announced on social media that he's coming back for his sixth year. Oh, that's big on for Tennessee. That's big. On top of the number two recruiting class that uh, Rick Barnes has quickly put together with the uh, you know two five stars now in that class. So, 
Uh, and they've got a point guard, and they've got some a front court. So this is going to be interesting. And they they got that guy um, who reclassified into twenty twenty one. That's coming. Uh, Brandon next Huntley. I, I can't remember his whole name, but yeah, yeah he reclassified and signed uh, uh, signed yesterday. Tennessee confirmed that last night. So yeah, that bumps them. They had been like eighth overall. Uh, with the, the Jordan Adu uh, signing, and then the, the the Brandon Huntley Hartley, I'm gonna have to figure that one out. It's a hyphenated name, mm-hmm. but he reclassified, and oh yeah, he he just bumped him up to number two overall. So uh, one of the probably the best recruiting class I can remember by Tennessee ever. I mean, number two nationally by the 24/7 Sports Composite rankings. I like now, that for Fulkerson, by the way, too. He, I had, do he too. had a rough year, and he needs well, he to- had a rough year, and and I'm not sure. <clears throat> I'm not sure that he's going to be an NBA guy when it comes right down to it. So he may as well maximize his NCAA, you know, collegiate experience. But, Teresa, you talk about this being the number two recruiting class in the country. Not bad for a guy who was supposed to be coming to sit in a rocking chair and just ease out. I think folks, re- I think folks really missed on Rick Barnes when he came. True, but as I told somebody last night about the you know the, the latest landing and being number two, the, the quick, quick response was, "So how far is it going to go in March?" Um, so yeah, that's ultimately what Rick Barnes, you know, recruiting is. At not. least he's getting to March. That wasn't always a given uh, with with, exactly. with Tennessee in the last twenty years. Some years, yes. Some years, no. Exactly, Dave. And and but here's the thing: the thing that I like about this group, you know, Kennedy Chandler, a true point guard. And now they have a, de- a front court. I mean, the, the Jordan Adu kid is seven foot. Uh, the kid, uh, Brandon Huntley, Hartley, uh, and I'm probably confusing those. I, I struggled with Josiah Jordan James as well for a while. Or <laughs> Jordan Josiah. Anyway, yeah. too many hyphens and too many J's there. But, uh, you know, point guard, true point guard, Tennessee did not have that this last year. They had guards, but nobody who could really take the ball when they needed to and maybe go to the bucket. And then they, you know, the front court. I mean, when Fulkerson was was struggling and injured, you know, they didn't have anyone who could come off the bench and and replace him and and help hold that down. So those are, you know, those are two areas that have absolutely been addressed. And you know, on paper at least, they should have, you know, they should be right up there to be a favorite to win the SEC again. Brandon Huntley Hatfield. Thank you. Another three name. Uh, yeah, so. yeah. BHH. I always I struggled. J. I struggled I with the the Jordan James wanting to say James Jordan a lot of times too. The, <laughs> I reversed those, so it took me a while to get those uh, memorized as well. Hey, it's it, not easy. It's still not as bad as former Ole Miss running back Ben Jarvis Green Ellis. <laughs> that was a tough one. The law firm. That was a uh, lot. Yeah. Exactly. That was a lot of words to put together. So. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, Teresa Walker of the Associated Press joining us here on the Parks Motor Sales Hotline. And we're getting some bonus coverage as she's going to stick with us after this break into the final segment of today's show. So um, we're going to take that break right here and come back to you in a few minutes here on Southern Middle Tennessee Sports Today presented by Mid-Tennessee Bone & Joint. Hey, folks. While we take a quick break from the show, I want to tell you about our friends over at Custom Stone Handlers in downtown Columbia. Ned Rich and his team at Custom Stone Handlers believe in leadership. And outside of the military, our greatest leader-building platform is sports. Custom Stone Handlers proudly encourages young people to get in the game. You can contact them today at 931-490-4990 or visit customstonehandlers.com. 
back to Southern Middle Tennessee Sports Today, the sports talk show you've always wanted. Well, that was interesting. didn't mix quite as well as I thought it would when I did it, okay. when I was thinking about it. Okay. <laughs> All right. It was, it was an idea. Seemed like a good idea at the time. At the time, yeah. Welcome back to the final Welcome back to the final segment of Southern Middle Tennessee Sports Today, presented by Mid Tennessee Bone and Joint. I'm Maurice Patton, Coach Mike over here experimenting. Um, Chris Yao, again, expected back Monday. Maybe will, maybe won't. We'll stay tuned. Dave Foster, former Fox 17 sports anchor, with us. And again, on the Parks Motor Sales Hotline. Teresa Walker, and I came that close to saying Teresa Phillips, but caught myself at the very last minute. Um, T. Yes. You find yourself covering a potential NHL playoff team that maybe a month ago would not have been expected to be the case. Uh, hey, guys, I absolutely had them written off uh, in February. At the end of February, I was taking snapshots, uh, screenshots of the uh, standings. They were 28 in late February, okay? And, uh, you know, it's funny. Uh, David Poyle on Monday talking to us after the trade deadline, you know, said he he's crediting the turnaround to May, March 18th when UC Soros came back from an injury. But you look through there – Pecorine got a couple wins through there to kind of help, you know, keep them in position, okay? He was crucial while Saros was out, you know, playing back-to-back games and, and keeping things moving. And then Saros comes back from IR and, you know, played way better than he had shown at the start of the season. And the curious thing, though, you know, David Poyle was like, well, we started so bad, we were playing the best teams in our division. Well, here's the thing. you If they get to the playoffs, and right now they kind of hold the – you know, they've got their control, you know, their destiny, so to speak, in their hands. You know, if they can keep winning out, they have the edge. Nobody can catch them, you know, once they get done at the end of the season number of games. You know, they're gonna, some teams are going to have to get hot, and the Predators are going to have to have a cold stretch. Well, right, you know, last night they lose on the road to Carolina, one of, you know, the top team in the division. And they, they've got Carolina again on, on Saturday night. They're going to have to beat one or two of these, you would think, to, to be able to get in and hold that spot and get in the playoffs. But once they get to the playoffs, you know, maybe, yes, maybe Forsberg is back, Ailey Tolvin in, they get that scoring power back, and maybe they can go on a run. They've been the, pretty much probably the, the hottest team in the NHL with the stretch, you know, had won 13 of 16 going into last night's game, which is very impressive. We've seen teams get hot uh, and go win the Cubs. St. Louis Blues did this a couple years ago. You know, they were at the bottom of the league in uh, the start January and then end up raising the cup. So could it happen? Sure. It's just, uh, you know, and, and when, you know, watching them Tuesday night, just, you know, kind of hand, manhandle, you know, the Tampa Bay Lightning, you want to think, okay, this is a team that can do it. But Vasilevsky was not net. So, you know, at some point, this team is going to have to beat the good teams and not just the Detroits and the Chicago's and the Columbus. Because, you know, first round, if you're fourth, you're going to be playing the top team in the division. So that's either Tampa Bay or Carolina or Florida, excuse me. And then you've got, uh, you know, then your second round, if you get past that, 
You know, in Tampa Bay just happens to be the defending Stanley Cup champs. And trust me, they're very confident over there. Their coach uh, after that game was simply just take the page, tur- pull it out of the book, throw it away. This this game means nothing. Um, you know, despite the fact that they had been like five of six or five and six over their last 11 at that point. So um, they're going to have to beat good teams if they're going to make a run in the postseason. But let's face it. To get to the postseason after where they were when I thought it was complete rebuild time, you know, sell off all the pieces you can, you know, keep the pieces that you have to to rebuild. But, uh, you know, give them credit. And the funny thing is, because of the injuries, they've kind of had that youth movement anyway. Twelve rookies, a franchise record, have played for this team in this uh, shortened season because of injuries. So they've kind of benefited from that youth movement as well. But, you know, if they're going to, you know, at some point, they're going to have to do something more than what they've shown us if they're going to do more than just maybe get to the playoffs. Teresa, again, huge accomplishment. Teresa, I wanted to talk about two of the things that um, you touched on there, um, and you can go in whichever direction that interests you more. But one is um, Soros and Rene finally beginning to play like the one-two combination that I think Predators fans have expected for a while, which is a positive uh, going into this last stretch. The other is, and you touched briefly on this, the offense for the Preds doing this largely without a player like Forsberg, which again could be the kind of thing as you go forward that could be huge for the Preds down the stretch and into the playoffs. Oh, absolutely, Dave. And David Poyle kind of touched on that Monday that, you know, that getting some of these guys back from, you know, and they put Forsberg on IR a week ago. So, you know, may, you know, he might not be back to the end of the season. So we just don't know. But, you know, when Ryan Ellis came back in, you know, he showed no signs of having been out with an injury. He came back in, scored a quick goal, and has been really key in the last few games. So they're going to need that. But that, you know, that whole, when you trade for somebody, you know, you, you look for a little boost. Well, they could get that from, you know, Forsberg coming back, Colvin coming back, because they were scoring. I mean, you know, shoot, Forsberg, you know, uh, I think he's got 26 points. Uh, yeah, I mean, he's he had been on an almost point-a-game pace to start the season. So that could be really good for them to get those guys back because, you know, last night they were struggling to score goals. Uh, they scored a ton on Tuesday night. The Cubs fan of me said, you know, save a couple of these for the next game. You're going to need them. But, you know, these guys coming back, Duchesne, I'm still not sure about because I just haven't seen anything out of him in a Nashville uniform yet to make me think he can bring something uh, to this team. But, you know, Forsberg and Tolvanen are the two guys that I'm looking forward to most giving this team a chance to have a big boost on offense. Speaking on the Parks Motor Sales Hotline with Teresa Walker of the Associated Press. And, Teresa, um, we couldn't have you on without going back to the press conference that I'm sure you were in attendance for Tuesday over at Tennessee State's Gentry Center. Um, I sure was. (laughs) Dave and I talked about this at the start of the show. We've talked about it all week. I don't think you can talk about this too much, though, just because I think it garners that much attention. What are your thoughts about Tennessee State football coach Eddie George? Well, it makes – I mean, look at this. TSU, I was there for the announcement of the coach for TSU. I wasn't there when they announced Rod Reed. Uh, You know, know, that's the level – it's FCS. You know, I've got so much on my plate here in the state of Tennessee that I triage. I go to what I, you know, is absolutely most important. And on Tuesday, Eddie George going to TSU, important. And that story moved nationally. So, 
you know, they're already getting attention. You know, he, he, he couldn't talk to us after the news conference because he had to go be uh, do a national interview, which I'd say, well, I'm kind of national. I'm just saying. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, that's the kind of attention that a TSU coach announcement hasn't gotten before. So, you know, absolutely, they're already starting to see benefits of it. Later that day, they announced a new TSU fund. We're, you know, trying to drive some fundraising to help improve the athletic facilities over there. And, you know, you see the, the contract, $400,000 a year, incentives up to 100000 on top of that. Uh, you know, he and we, we're still waiting to see exactly who he hires on his coaching staff. You know, it sure looks like Brandon Fisher, Jeff, son is going to be the defensive coordinator and we're still hearing you know Hugh Jackson possibly as offensive coordinator you know so it's you know when you bring these kind of names here you know it's bringing attention that TSU has not had you know now Deion Sanders you know what was the connection to to, to Jackson State you know that, that thing you know that just never really made sense how long is he committed there for well Eddie George you know he makes a commitment his name's on that too you know so you know, if anyone who's known Eddie, you know, knows that he's going to do everything he possibly can. And, and I'll say this, this is a guy who was an athlete who became an actor who ended up performing on Broadway. So it's like, you know, when he does something, he goes all out. So I don't doubt his commitment at all. And, you know, he can bring the resources and funding that has been so lacking to the TSU football program over the last few years. Rod Reed told reporters last Sunday that, you know, that their budget for recruiting, not much at all the last few years. It had been cut. You know, summer school for guys to stick around and work and get stronger and, you know, chemistry, all those things. You know, no, they just didn't really have that. So, you know, bringing those resources is going to be, that's the biggest thing that hiring an Eddie George does for TSU. Now, he has to, they have to put all these pieces together and, you know, we're going to have to wait and see. He said, you know, Dr. Allen made it very clear, want to compete for OVC championships and SDS titles like North Dakota State. So you got to start somewhere and that's what they've done with Eddie. One of the names that you didn't mention that's been thrown about as a potential member of his coaching staff, Rod Woodson. That's a big name too, isn't it? If I'm, if I'm wanting to play in a secondary and getting coached by Rod Woodson, who played for, what, 20-plus years, it feels like, in the NFL. I mean, the guy was, you know, around forever and a Hall of Famer. And, you know, and, and, and we've seen it on the basketball side. You know, talented top recruits choosing to go play for HBCUs. HCBUs, I always, yeah, uh, historically black colleges and universities. There you go. And so guess what? You get a coaching staff like this, why shouldn't they be able to compete for top football talent? So, you know, yes, Alabama and, and some of these other SEC schools are going to have, you know, their, their, their chocolate fountains, their waterfalls, their sleeping locker rooms like at LSU. But when you caught a chance, we're going to find out how much of a draw it is to be able to come and play for some of these NFL coaches because, face it, every football player, every basketball player thinks they can play, uh, be a pro someday. Well, if you think you've got that talent, you can come play for a guy who, who knows the NFL pretty intimately. Uh, that's going to be a huge drawing card. Before we let you touch on one final topic here in the final five minutes here on Southern Middle Tennessee Sports Today, want to mention um, NASCAR this weekend. We usually have Terry Wilcox, T. Willie, to bring us up to speed in this segment. That was not the case today, obviously, but NASCAR will be running at Richmond this weekend. The truck race is on Saturday. The cup race is on Sunday. Both will air here on 101.7. Um, T. Willie will have his pre-race 
around 12:30 on Sunday. So um, be sure and check that out. Again, Teresa Walker from the Associated Press here with us, and swallowed up in all of this Tennessee State football coaching situation. Teresa Vanderbilt hired a women's basketball coach this week. Boy, did she! I mean, give Candace Lee huge credit. Okay, uh, she went out and got somebody that people pretty much had her just staying at UConn until Gino retired and she would be the next coach. And instead of just assuming that, went and asked. And her husband, Tom Garrick, had been an, a Vandy assistant, you know, just a few years ago and at a time when they were going to the NCAA tournament and, and uh, you know, doing things in the postseason. So, you know, got, you know, it, and got her to say yes. I mean, some, that's the thing. You know, you, you, what's the, the saying about, you, you know, you miss all the chances you, you never take? You miss and all so, the shots you don't take. And closed mouths don't get fed. So, yeah, absolutely. And that's what Candace got fed. She went and talked to her and sure enough had somebody willing to take this opportunity. Guys, you know, when, when, when Stephanie White lost three starters, uh, you know, I think that they were trying to be, you know, they didn't want to get rid of her after, you know, they, they opted out of the season in a pandemic. But when you lose three starters, it kind of forced their hand. And at this point, yes, Stephanie White on paper, not only Balcom at the time, looked like winning coaches. But when you look at Shea Ralph uh, and the standards that she's been living up to for the, you know, for much of the last 20 years, got to think that this has got the potential to be a home run for Vanderbilt, especially at a program that people forget. 93, they went to a Final Four, okay? Uh, you know, this is a program with 25, 26 NCAA bursts, a uh, bunch of elite eights and things like that. They have a program and a history of success in women's basketball over there. And bringing in Shea Ralph, she gets that. She remembers that she was playing against Vandy in those days. So I can't wait to see what she does to, you know, one who the staff she brings in. But, uh, you know, this is a woman who does not like to lose. So, and, and, and her track record, five years at Pittsburgh, and she's been with UConn for the last 13 Final Fours. Uh, she knows how to, what it takes to get there and to coach top talent. So, I can't wait to watch. Does not like to lose, has not done a lot, a lot of it. Shea Ralph, the new women's basketball coach at Vanderbilt. Speaking of successful, Teresa, uh, Teresa Walker, I did it. Um, <laughs> Teresa Walker of the Associated Press with us here on the Parks Motor Sales Hotline. Teresa, appreciate you spending some time with us this Friday morning. Have a great weekend. My pleasure, Mo, Dave. You have an awesome weekend as well. Thank you, ma'am. And that's going to kind of close it out for us here on this Friday edition of Southern Middle Tennessee Sports. I want to thank Dave Foster again for, for making the drive down here to be in studio with us this morning. I had a great time. You know, we touched on so many topics today, so many sports topics. We didn't even get to a huge one that starts tonight, Tennessee Vandy Baseball. Huge series. We got on, on that yesterday, yeah. but yeah, that's a huge series, and, and it's huge for all the right reasons. Tennessee and Vanderbilt both ranked in most top fives nationally. Um, Six o'clock tonight on ESPNU for that one. Chad Dallas gets the start for UT. Kumar Rocker coming off of a rough one last week against Georgia will be on the bump for the Commodores. So um, six today, three tomorrow, noon on Sunday. Should be a great series. It it should be a lot of fun, really. Um, Again, thanks, Dave, for coming in. want to thank Joe, uh, Joe Fisher for joining us yesterday and George Plaster on Wednesday. Chris Yao should be back in studio on Monday. Thank you all for listening to us here on Southern Middle Tennessee Sports Today, presented by Mitch.